I come from the very stereotypical British family where traveling abroad involved lots of slow, loud talking to the locals. Looking back, that might have been one of the reasons why I was so determined to learn at least a little bit of any language before going on holiday. I think growing up in the 80s, there was a real drive to teach children foreign languages at school. And that's something you can still see today with introductory lessons often taking place in primary schools. Although there are fewer students taking GCSEs in modern foreign languages now than there were a decade ago, French, Spanish and German are still really popular options for students to take. But if you've ever tried to learn a language independently, you'll know it can be really tough. So has lockdown impacted students' ability to continue their language studies, perhaps more than other subjects? Hello and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this, our second season of the podcast, we're following six students as they head towards their GCSEs in 2021, or at least what was meant to be their 2021 exams. Each week, I catch up with these very different teams to see how things are going in a one-to-one coaching session. Then, with a panel of experts in our weekly podcast, we discuss some of the issues that come up. These could be broad themes such as motivation or managing mental health, or they could be quite focused, such as how best to revise for a specific subject. These are normal teams, so you can be sure that we'll be covering topics that young people up and down the country will face. So, if you're a parent, a carer, or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, we're looking at how best to learn a modern foreign language. I'm delighted to be joined by Rebecca Nobes. Rebecca is the head of Spanish at a large secondary school in Essex. She's also a council member of the Chartered College of Teaching. And if that weren't enough, Rebecca is an active podcaster and blogger. Rebecca, thank you for joining me. Just half of our students are studying a language for their GCSEs. And it's fair to say that numbers of students taking foreign language at GCSE is on a downward trend which I was quite surprised by. The reasons for not taking it at a qualification include not being interested, but also more commonly a belief that they're no good at languages. This week, in my catch up with Lee, I was interested to find that he'd chosen German because he wants to go to Germany one day, but also importantly, that he found it more interesting than history and geography. But is he finding it more difficult over lockdown? was really what I wanted to look at. And for Lee, he absolutely is. And this combination of not using his microphone during lessons, but using the chat function, and also not having friends to talk to in class, means he's finding it difficult to be motivated. He doesn't really feel that he's making much progress. Rebecca, now I'm assuming this is a bit of a leading question for you, but how important is it to study a language at GCSE? So there's all sorts of different reasons why it's important to learn a language at GCSE. Obviously, how important is it? I think it's very important, but I'm biased as a language teacher, of course. But, you know, over the years, it's been either a requirement for various universities or it's what can help a student stand out. If you've got a language GCSE and the other candidate doesn't for whatever the next step is, it does give 
the student an edge. The skills that a language can give are far beyond just being able to speak that language. And I think that's the most important thing to consider. Well, that's really interesting. So what benefits do you see beyond the language itself? So beyond the language itself, we could go down a couple of routes, either towards kind of the intercultural understanding, which in the ever more globalised world we're living in, is becoming even more important to be able to be part of that, to be part of something beyond our own boundaries and beyond our own borders, especially as things change and things especially to do with Brexit, for example. Actually, for some, that might feel that we're becoming more insular, but that makes it all the more important that we're able to communicate outside of our own country. So thinking about intercultural understanding, understanding why different countries might do business in a different way or why certain customs and traditions are different ways in other countries and being prepared prepared to understand that can equip our students with that much more than just those language skills. My daughter's not actually taking a language, which was a cause of discomfort in her house because I really thought that she ought to. But what I remember from when Jake was taking his and obviously some of the, the work that we've done with students and the revision is that there's so much more to the content now than I remember when I was taking my GCSEs, what would have been 20 to 30? Oh, I think I've fallen into that 30 bracket now. So but a long while ago. And that was much more about I'd like to book a hotel room with a double bed and a shower. <laughs> and that seemed to really be about the extent of it. Whereas now it is much more about what cultures and customs, as you say. The GCSE now, it's a bit of a blend of those two things, I guess. There are elements of the speaking exam where there are role-play tasks, which would be exactly like you described, you know, booking a hotel room. But that's one and a half minutes of a... 11 minute speaking exam so it's not 11 minutes or higher anyway speaking exam so it's not a huge part of the course anymore so there's much more to it now so it's built around a set of topics depending on the exam board but it'll be things like school future ambitions work talking about work experience talking about festivals in other countries that's a particularly interesting one in terms of the intercultural understanding that's one of the times we've really got an opportunity to delve in in there and then there's things on family and holidays and those kinds of things so it's basic topics with some opportunities to delve into the culture the role play like I said is only a tiny part of the exam and then the rest of it's made up of there's a photo card task where students have to describe what they see in the photo and then they get asked some follow-up questions on it and then also there are some general conversation questions on the topics we've talked about so yeah it's a blend of what it used to be and then some different elements. I assume then that that means that the children who are interested in the language more than just sort of going through the motions of picking up the vocabulary are actually going to be in a much better position to do as well as they possibly can in the exams. Yeah, I think students are motivated to want to know about the world around them a little bit more and, and delve into those things. Oh, I think with the GCSE, it's not too much related to that. If students are motivated in that way, they're really suited to the A-level course, certainly. The GCSE doesn't rely on any of that cultural knowledge. It just allows for the inclusion of it. Okay. And so you mentioned speaking. There's also the reading, writing and listening parts to the exam, is that right? Yeah, that's right. How much difference is there between those different sections? Now, obviously, I appreciate that the speaking part is using your voice and <laughs> the writing part isn't. But in terms of revision and studying, are they the same basic elements that help make up all of those areas? There's definite 
core links between the four. So the four parts make up 25% each of the exam. It never used to be that way, but it is now. I think that makes sense. It's more balanced. The reading and listening are closely linked and the speaking and writing are closely linked because we've got the production and the receptive skills. But the one thing that brings them all together is having a good, solid knowledge of all of the vocabulary. If students have got that knowledge of the vocabulary, then they're able to apply it to their speaking, apply it to their writing, and understand it in the listening and reading. So the absolute number one is knowing the vocabulary. How far do you think the students have been able to carry on with their studies during lockdown? Now, obviously, that comes with the big warning flag that lockdown has affected absolutely everything. But for languages in particular... Do you think that students have the same capacity to carry on as they were before? I think the one thing that will have been impacted probably disproportionately might well be the listening. There's just not many resources out there in terms of independent listening. There's one very good website, but only if you're lucky enough for your school to afford the subscription to it. So I reckon listening is probably what may have been neglected quite a lot. The speaking this year has understandably been a little unknown because they changed our requirements early on to say we weren't going to have a speaking exam that we needed to assess in class. And that will definitely be something that will have been impacted over lockdown. If students are anything like the ones I teach, yes, they've all got the option of turning on their microphones, but no, they're not doing it. So they're all happily typing away, but that's not practising their speaking. So in terms of having the vocabulary knowledge for the reading and the listening side of things and the writing, you know, they can easily have carried that on themselves very easily. The grammar side of things as well, they can easily have carried on, but the things that will have been neglected, I think, are the listening and knowing what's happening with the speaking, but that's no fault of the students. I think that was definitely one of the big things I was considering, is that the students aren't actually able to sort of engage in the same way. I say not able to, and I realise it's their own choice not to have the camera and the speaking on, but I wondered what impact not being able to apply your vocabulary in language in a spoken form might have. Aside from the GCSE grade itself, because that's one thing, I think it has a bigger impact on overall motivation to learn the language and the furthering of it. You know, students' motivation to want to continue it post-GCSE, that's where we're going to see the impact. I think because the way the grading's being done, well, I say that, I don't know how the grading's being done yet, do we? But because of the way that's happening, I don't think it'll have a huge impact on the GCSE grade itself. That's really important, of course. It's more likely to have an impact on that future motivation. The students' kind of feeling of self-efficacy in the language, if they're going to feel that they can do it, then they're going to need to have been speaking it. So I think that's what might be lost this year. Certainly we found that from our students is that the bit that they're not feeling that they're really living that language, because if you can't hear it, I think it does make a big difference. Hear it from yourself, but also the impact of not working in groups or in pairs where they're sharing that language. And so is there anything that our students could be doing? I don't know if it's if they've got the confidence to do it or a close friend in the class to sort of team up with them and, and sort of chat or talk. I mean, are these things unrealistic? Are they- things they could be doing you know the photo card and the role play tasks and the general questions most students would have been preparing throughout year 10 and 11 for the general question part of the task so probably have lists of questions that they could practice easily either pairing up with another friend who's taking it or actually the most common thing we hear from parents is well I didn't take a language so I've got no idea Actually, it doesn't matter if someone at home doesn't speak the language. If you are able to say, right, I've got this question for you here, it says, and the student can tell you what it says, 
what was your primary school like? And they can say their answer to you. It doesn't matter if you don't understand a single word that they're saying. The important thing is that the students are practicing. So, yeah, definitely there's plenty of things they could practice either in pairs or at someone at home, even if there's no interaction there. I think that's really interesting. So you don't think it makes a big difference that the parent or carer wouldn't be able to tell you that the child had actually answered your question in Italian when they're meant to be learning Spanish. The fact they're going through the motion and building up their own confidence is the key bit. I think so. The fact that they are practising, they're doing it, the the actual act of doing it, obviously it would be fantastic if every student had someone at home who spoke the language that they're studying, but we know that that's not the case. And so there are still plenty of ways to support a student at home, even if you don't speak that language. And I feel like we as teachers say that from year seven at every parent's evening when every parent sits there and goes oh I can't remember any of my GCSE language and you go, okay that's good there's still things you can do it's not a barrier for the student not having someone at home it's great if they do but if they don't there's still things they can be doing to practice I think actually we're probably more hesitant to do that with the languages than we would be with other subjects that we wouldn't know anything about Norman England but actually if my daughter had any questions or flashcards on it I'd more likely to think I could do that than help her with German if that's what she were doing. I think that is the case. I think it's a real shame as well that it seems to be a lot of, oh, I can't remember my GCSE languages. I don't know why I took them sometimes. And I think, well, I could sit here and say that I can't remember very much of my GCSE triple sciences. I took all three. I can't remember all of that. But I'm not saying that that's a reason why I shouldn't have taken them. So no, definitely, I think people are very quick to say that they've forgotten all their language and they can't help it's not necessarily the case no and actually we've heard from previous guests that that kind of oh it hasn't helped me or I don't even know why I did it is really really demotivating and and doesn't help students at all regardless because they have put themselves forward for this GCSE they do need to work towards the best grade that they can get for themselves exactly and it causes even more problems when you know different schools have different systems for taking GCSE options and say for example that the student hasn't had a choice about taking a GCSE in a language it doesn't help at all when someone at home then says oh I can't remember any of mine or you know it didn't help me most parents won't be saying I can't remember Pythagoras's theorem but they believe in the value of taking GCSE maths same difference (laughs) I wonder though whether if you have a bad experience of learning a language during school either because of the motivation and the sort of that spurring encouragement isn't there at home or whether Actually, it just felt a bit stale and sagging, which obviously I appreciate not as you as a teacher would be like, but for some, that can be the enduring memory that they just didn't like my French teacher or my German teacher. Do you think that has a knock-on effect on their desire to learn languages and embrace other cultures in that way? in later in life? I think it definitely can do. The difference for languages compared to other subjects. So you can get put off of a a subject and be put off of it for life in any subject. I think with languages, it does have a potential to cause a certain element of xenophobia. If someone has maybe a French French teacher and they don't like that French French teacher, then the opinions they form and then pass on later on, stereotyped because they've in secondary school those kind of stereotypes are very very common and i think that it could possibly have longer lasting damaging effects yeah Mm. which is obviously such a shame because (laughs) for obvious reasons that's only not what we want to encourage in our children i think already we brits are stereotypically lazy because we do go to 
holidays or travel around the world or whatever it is that we're lucky enough to do. And 99 times out of 100, certainly in the commercial resorts, they will speak English. And so actually that does, I think, naturally put us in a position where we think, well, actually we don't need to worry. Or even if you're not actively disinterested because someone else will do it, it does take the pressure off of you having to do anything, doesn't it? Because you know that when you get to the Costa Blanca that people are going to be able to see you all right. Yeah, I think that's unfortunate for us in a way that English is the language, the dominant language that it is, because it does allow that mindset of, well, I don't need to. I think it's a real shame because we then are very much thinking everybody speaks English, so I don't need to speak anything else. And that's not the case. There's advantages to being able to do business in the language of the people that you're doing business with and what you might get from that that's different. The places you can travel to, the just the general understanding that you might get and the reception you might get from people to use that language. And actually, you do surprise yourself when you are able to kind of go off the beaten track a little bit and you travel to somewhere and then you go out to somewhere where actually maybe it's a slightly smaller area and they don't speak English and the experiences you can have from that. But, yeah, I think it is a shame. I was putting something together for for Year 9 Options the other day and there was a quote, something like, and it's really depressing, I don't like it, it's something like, a man who speaks two languages is bilingual, a man who speaks three languages is trilingual, a man who speaks one language is British. (laughs) And that's just... You can't see my facial expression on a podcast, but, you know, it's not a nice thought, but unfortunately there's a lot of truth in it, or it feels like there is. Tonally, I think your facial expression came through. (laughs) I think there is something in it, and it isn't putting us down, because I do think there is an element to, actually, if you don't need to try, then why do you? And and I think we can can see that. But absolutely, I mean, some of the best places that we've been on holiday have been away from sort of the main resorts. And, and of course, it's not just speaking the language, because if you're driving around and there are road signs or you want to find out leaflets on something, you need to be able to recognise the words and read the written content as well as be able to speak it. Yeah, I think I picked up something you just said about if you don't have to try them, why would you? I think there's a lot of that just generally at the moment if you don't have to try then why would you there's some perception about a language GCSE and especially then towards language A level some perception about it being more difficult to get a higher grade and so then if I don't have to do this one and this one's going to be easier and I could get a better grade in this one then I'll take the other subjects and I think there is a certain amount of that as well yeah if I don't have to try as hard as that then why would I and it's about knowing all the other benefits of doing something beyond just that piece of paper with the GCSE road on it. Mm. I was always really keen on languages. Actually, I took French as an A-level. Again, this is dim and distant past. But absolutely, it does. I think it does change your perspective. And it's not about it being any more difficult than maths was or biology was. I think it's if you can find an enthusiasm for it and find a purpose for it beyond getting that grade, which is so unfortunate, I think, that we tend to look at the GCSE subjects very much like that. But actually, it can be really fulfilling. And I love being in France. And even now, just simply being able to ask directions in French and understand the French person speaking them back to me. And actually, I feel really good about myself in a way that I wouldn't feel really good about myself just because I remember what Pythagoras' theorem is. Exactly. The beyond the GCSE or A-level grade, I think, is just is so important when it comes to language learning. I think there's an argument there that we should 
have all students learning languages for longer, but not necessarily for that GCSE grade, in the way that so many other countries do. You know, everyone studies languages for a lot longer than we do. And, and the benefits of that in terms of certainly student confidence and those kinds of things, the listening skills, the communication skills, beyond that of actually being able to pick up the language is just really important. Mm, absolutely. So looking now at the students who are taking their GCSEs, as you say, obviously in a different position because there won't be a terminal exam in the way that there was going to be. We'll find out soon exactly what that alternative assessment will look like. But what we do know is that students need to continue to work to the best of their abilities in order to demonstrate most likely to the teachers so that they can get the best grade that they can. And so I'm interested in what some of the best techniques are for learning the languages and I guess it's that combination of vocab and grammar and conversation as well. The best things that students can do independently are certainly the vocabulary learning certainly and that mixture of repetition and testing really really frequently is going to be the best thing they can do at this sort of time when they're doing it on their own. Websites such as Quizlet I think I can speak on behalf of an awful lot of language teachers when I say we love Love, love, love Quizlet because it's just, it does all the testing for you and it can be used so easily at home on your own and the different formats that are on there to make sure that that vocabulary is learned because that is, like I said earlier, the absolute foundation on which the rest of it is going to be built. If at the least, you know, you know your vocabulary, you're going to be able to understand a good chunk of the reading and the listening and you're going to be able to get something on paper for the writing and whatever else. So studying the vocabulary, whether that's through something like Quizlet or whether that's through testing yourself is so important but also not fooling yourself into thinking that standing there sitting there staring at a list of words is doing any good it might make you feel confident in the moment or for the next 10 minutes or if you're doing it just before a test well and good the GCSE vocabulary list is extensive to say the least and you can't cram that in the 10 minutes before the exam so I find myself saying at the start of year 10 do 10 minutes every few days and then I say at the end of year 10 have you been doing that like we get the answer no right okay you need to do it more often 10 minutes little and often and then still saying into year 11 and it gets to the point where there's an awful lot of vocabulary to cram in last minute if you haven't done it and it's not possible actually learning a language is a long-term thing you can't learn topics and take a test on that topic and then forget it and move on to the next thing it's long term so the vocabulary learning is absolutely the most important and the easiest thing to do independently too i absolutely remember that from jake when he was doing his spanish when we came up with this system for managing and organizing time that he would put in a number of words quite literally it would be like 16 to 25 within a list and he would go through those every day and that was a list that either would come from his teacher or maybe it was from a website that he'd found. But he would literally just take a number of words and repeat and test and repeat and test. Is it okay to do that out of context? Is it better to do it by theme or is it literally just a case of if you can remember or reinforce nine, ten words a day, you're doing really well? 
I think probably it's better to try and do it not too thematically because although in the reading and listening parts of the exam they are generally themed, if you worked your way through now, let's say you start at module one and work through to module eight, by the time you've got to module eight, you've probably forgotten all the words in module one anyway. So it definitely needs to be mixed around. There's certain key vocabulary that will come up time and time again. So, yes, the topic specific is important, but mixing around the order and then getting for the writing and the speaking, having key verbs that you know well that you can just write down so you know you can hit those tenses. Oh, I go, I'm going to go, I went, I used to go. If you know those chunks of language off the top of your head because you've been practising them constantly, that's going to be really useful. Same with key opinion phrases. If you've got all of those ready to go, it's going to be really, really useful. But yeah, don't start at one and work to eight and expect to still remember what you did back at the start. Also, many of the language exam boards have got Themes, actually, well, they all do. They all have themes around studying and working abroad and your family and your local environment and those kinds of things. So is it that our students should be looking at those so that they can build up key phrases around those subject areas in addition to a core set of vocab, sort of weaving in study sessions around all of those? practice to know that okay I know I need to be able to write or speak in three tenses and give opinions with reasons on every topic and so yeah you could quite easily say especially at the moment when maybe some more independent work might be needed to say okay I'm going to sit down today and I'm going to do some work on free time free time and I'm going to write a sentence about what I normally do a sentence about something I did yesterday another about what I used to do I'm going to put an opinion in there and give a reason for it I'm going to say what I'm going to do and give a reason for it to give that practice at using the opinions and tenses and then you could take those exact same structures and apply them to say the holidays topic so it's not about knowing lots and lots of structures it's about knowing a core of structures and being able to apply those to lots of topics. There is an element of studying and revising for the test because you know that these are the kinds of things that are going to be looked for. So if you can build that core and do them really, really well, then you should be confident and in a good place. But that also doesn't detract from the beauty of the language in its entirety because you're still picking up the skills to actually make it useful when you leave the classroom and head out into the world, or quite literally head out into the world. Yeah, I think it depends on the student and what their aim is next. If the aim is to continue the language and to develop more, to maybe go on to A-level or to enjoy other aspects of the language, of course you want to know how to construct the language, how to manipulate it in the bigger, wider picture. But also as teachers, we understand there are the students who are taking it because they want to finish the GCSD and they want to have that core at the end of it. And that's fine too. So there's probably a balance to be had and maybe it's a foundation higher thing because, of course, we are one of those subjects that still has two tiers. There's not many of us around, but we do. Or whether that's just a case of students who want it for this and students who want to take it further. I'll often say to my classes, look, these are the things you need to know. These are the set ones. Learn these ones. And you lot over here, if you still want to do this further, let's look at how we construct this. Let's look at breaking this down. Let's look at how could we manipulate that for our own. So, again, it's depending on the student and their ambition with the language, whether it's learn a core set or learn this set, but then let's look at manipulating it further. And in terms of being able to help at home, I always remember the old tobacco tins and... You won't know this, I'm fairly sure. But we used to get, so the 
tins of tobacco and my mum would have written down like the words when I was much younger onto what is now I guess a flashcard and so on one side you'd have bonjour and on the other side you'd have hello and so we could test while we were picking up a sibling or whatever else it might have been and they'd come out and they'd just be raised and so you'd ask one another so the very definition of flashcards that we now promote for use in all subjects is something obviously that we, we talked about for the languages and something that parents can do easily because you don't need to necessarily have a good command of the language to be able to read the word your pronunciation may not be spot on but it should be enough to make sure that the student's in the right ballpark at least isn't that right yeah definitely and i guess that's a job that quizlet makes so easy for us but you can easily do that as a parent because there's a difference between revising the vocabulary for production and revising it for the receptive skills and actually as a parent if you could read the english side and the student has to produce the foreign language then one no worries about your pronunciation. And also, they are having to remember the foreign language word, which is then what's important for the speaking and the writing. So it's important that balance as well, knowing that, okay, if you read them all of the foreign language word and they're telling you the English, that's all well and good, but could they do it the other way around? And that's really important to consider. And I say that to students a lot. You know, they like these match-up modes on Quizlet or going through the Spanish and going, yeah, I know what all of those mean. Great, but you need to do it the other way the way around as well you need to actually test yourself and not have that temptation of going yep yeah, i know that word i'll turn the card over you didn't actually make yourself remember what that word was you just went oh i think i know it and turned it over actually that active moment of yes i know that word i recognize it it means this and can you go a step further could you put it into a sentence could you use it a bit further than that but no certainly as parents there are ways to support mostly with vocabulary learning that's probably the easiest and best thing that a parent can do is the vocabulary learning in just the way you described or whatever way you want to do it. Mm. And you could see how with something as sort of low involvement as pulling out a couple of flashcards while you're preparing dinner or over breakfast or whatever else it is that might be going on in the house, that actually the parents can do that and they can do it exactly to your point earlier little and often so really helping to reinforce and mixing them up as well yeah and especially if let's take the verb to go and say we have i go i'm going to go i went i used to go i would go that's five that's a good start you know we could probably come up with a couple more i have been i will go there we are there's seven if you've got a set of seven like that that you can just constantly test. And then let's pick another verb. Let's mix the verb to do in with that. Let's mix a different one in with it so that you are building up, like I said earlier, that core of language. Not only are we seeing those as individual words, but there's patterns between them. And then those are the key things, especially for the writing and speaking. Students need to be able to go into that exam and go, right, I know that I can include all of my tenses in here to really show off what I know. So something like that that's transferable to any topic. So maybe picking, you know, 10 school subjects as the vocabulary you're testing, not that useful. Not that useful to do that every day. We don't need those particular words all the time. But things like those key verbs could be real game changers in terms of what students know in the exam. And how much of an impact does confidence have for students as they go into these exams? If they've done this more than maybe they might have done and they can feel confident that they've got a really good bank of core words, that they should presumably feel quite good about themselves and sort of be able to tackle whatever challenges and whatever questions come up in front of them, even if they don't necessarily have 100% of that answer 
it's that confidence that will carry them through to be inventive, if you like. Absolutely. I think the mindset and the confidence behind it is so important. Being able to walk into the writing exam specifically and go, right, I'm going to quickly, before I start anything else, I'm going to write down those key verbs or I'm going to write down my checklist of things that I want to include because I know that checklist and I know what has to go into it. So that then when they start the task, they can go, okay, yeah, I'll tick that off. I know that I've done it and included that. The confidence there can definitely push you forward through it rather than the student who goes in and goes, I've oh, read the bullet points, not really sure what the bullet points say. Mm, I'll just I'll start writing something. At least if you've got that chunk of core content that you've thought of already, you've got those key verbs or whatever else written down, at least when you look at those bullet points and go, not completely sure but I know I need to include three tenses in here. That's the important thing. And I've got three tenses written there. Let's make this work somehow. Obviously not as good as actually knowing what the bullet points say and doing exactly the right thing. Obviously not advocating that, but actually the benefit of that is you can write something. You can do something and then that pushes you forward to continue. Yeah. And there's more almost creative freedom, I guess. So unlike with something like history, because if you don't know the date, you don't know the date. Whereas, as you say, with this one, actually, if you understand what it is that's required of you, even if you're not dead certain on what it is, you can still have a good go and show off what it is that you do know. I get students to practice a technique that I got off of another teacher on Twitter a long time ago, actually, that was about making sure you understand the question. So there's a 90-word task in the exam. And if you don't cover the things they're asking you to cover in the right way, you get penalised. So it's about making sure you know exactly what the task is. And this acronym, what is it, BUST? It's B for boxing. So you box the verbs. So you might go through and find the verb I have or you are going to or they went box those verbs, underline the nouns so you know what they're looking for. So it might say what you did on holiday. So you boxed you did and underlined holiday. S for circle and swap or swap and circle because obviously circle doesn't begin with an S, but it works. <laughs> it works. So we'll stick with it. The words for me and my and you and your, because if they ask you what you did with your family and you write I did with your family, don't get any of the marks for it. And I say to my students all the time, do you realise you told me you went on holiday with my dad? My dad? Not your dad, my dad. Oh, yeah, you won't get any credit for that. Oh, okay. And T, finally, that one is for tenses, so making sure you know exactly what tenses you need to include. So just things like that, that if students are well-practised in having those processes, they can go in, and just like you said, it's the confidence. They can go in, write down their key verbs, bust that 90-word task and go, right, I understand it now. I know what I need to do, or at least I understand most of it. I can do some of it. The confidence that they've then got to tackle it is that much stronger. I love that. I love the thinking of the technique that sits behind it, which isn't something, I guess, that had occurred to me with this subject. I'm not really sure why, because I did think, obviously appreciated that there was vocab that you'd need to have this core you need to work on the topics but actually thinking that like any other exam there's a methodology there's techniques and processes that you need to go through in order to get to the best answers is something that as I say hadn't occurred to me yeah I think people more think of languages as you go in and you have to write something but there are specific things and there's just with any other exam 
plenty of hoops to have to jump through to do what the examiner wants you to do. So, yeah, there's just as with any other exam, it's important to know what you're up against and be ready for that. But still great opportunities to do that. So you can make sure that you're sounding impressive. So we heard from Jenny Webb a while ago with English. There's no reason why they should be fundamentally different, I guess. English as a first language or French, Spanish, German as a second. That actually this is a real opportunity to go in and sound like the person that you want the examiner to mark for. <laughs> so even if you're not particularly confident with your own command of language, actually you can be that impressive person who is aiming for sixes, sevens, eights and nines and really use this as an opportunity to wow. Exactly. And you can be prepared for it because we know enough about what is on the exam. The writing, the speaking papers are very much the papers where you can be prepared for it. The reading, listening, beyond knowing your vocabulary and having practice lots, it's more unknown. Every year after the exam, there's always, always comments on social media about what was this? You know, she was talking about her yellow handbag. What was they talking about? Her? Or they were talking about someone on a unison cycle and you look at the papers and you think what have they done why why is that on there so there's things that you can't prepare for there's elements of the unknown in the reading and listening but with the speaking and writing if you have practiced doing these types of tasks over and over again you know what you're expecting to see and you've got those key structures those impressive bits of vocabulary impressive structures to use there's no reason why those exams can't go really well and so you mentioned before that you were preparing an options paper for year nine so we are getting to that point where although most of our listeners are thinking about their GCSEs actually there will be parents who are listening to this daunted by the world of GCSEs that's headed that way so we are a, a broadly options point what words of advice would you give parents who are counselling or working with their children, what those options are if they were hesitant about including a language in their set? So I think first off is don't see it as I'm not going to work abroad, therefore I don't need a language. So don't see it as, oh, are you planning on doing a job where you need a language? Then do you want to do this or not? Because of that specific thing. I've put together, again, like I was saying for my year nines, I did it a few years ago and I've updated it recently, some slides of people that I knew at university who took a language, what job they moved into and what they're doing now and for a lot of them the language was the thing that got them the job they're not necessarily using it anymore but the language got them in the door so the first thing is thinking about actually it's not about are you going to use the language but what is the language going to help give you in the future don't let lack of parental knowledge of a language stop you and I think if we did that our numbers would be ever ever decreasing as they already are that's not an issue as we've kind of already discussed there's plenty of things that can still be done there don't force someone to do it who absolutely does not want to do it it is a course that takes work and to do well in it it takes work to do okay in it if you're good at it you'll get by but to do well at it takes that extra work outside the classroom there's no doubt about that so it's not to be stepped into if you don't want to do it that's for sure but don't reduce a language to what it can give you in terms of a GCSE grade or a job so thinking about those other transferable skills that we've talked about earlier the cultural knowledge 
understanding of people around you, communication skills, listening, those kinds of things. And the effect it can have on your English as well. This, I guess, happens more at A-level than it does GCSE, but I find myself saying, oh, do you know this word in English? And the student's going, no. Well, look how similar this word looks to this word in English that you didn't even know. And now you know not only the word in Spanish, but you know this word in English as well. And that happens more often than you'd like to think. (laughs) What kinds of words of wisdom might you have for students who have taken on a language but might be finding lockdown tricky for their enthusiasm or their motivation because it is quite an artificial context to try to do it on their own? Yeah, I think just keep going at it. The amount of adults that say later, oh, I wish I'd learned a language, or I wish I'd concentrated more in that lesson. And I know it's hard for teenagers to hear that now, and especially when a language teacher says it, but it is true. The amount of people I meet in life when I say I'm a Spanish teacher and they say to me, oh, I'd love to be able to speak a language. Oh, oh, I didn't work. Do you do tutoring? The amount of adults that think they now want to learn a language is incredible. So don't make yourself those adults. Be the adults that are more prepared than that in a way and have got that under your belt already. And you'll get more from it than you realise, okay? If you think about it as more than the GCSE grade, which of course is important, but thinking about it beyond that GCSE grade and the enjoyment you could potentially get from it later the people you could meet the other opportunities available to you it's worth it it's just a little bit longer now muchas gracias por tu tiempo rebecca and i'll absolutely confess that i did google translate that There's something about being able to communicate in another language that fills you with a sort of pride Although it's not exceptional for other countries to speak multiple languages, it feels a bit unusual for us Brits. And I think it's such a shame that it isn't being taken up by more students. It definitely sounds like there's a lot of merit in Rebecca's idea that maybe languages should continue through secondary school, regardless of whether an exam is taken in them or not. This is as much about broadening their horizons as it is about getting grades up for the next step. And I'm sure you could make the same kind of argument for other areas, such as maybe creative arts. For those whose children haven't yet chosen their GCSE options, I think that Rebecca gave us plenty to think about. Choosing a language isn't simply about being able to speak when abroad. There are wider impacts on the way that students might see the world, the way they might appreciate other cultures and traditions, and take an altogether less insular view. And, as we've heard, In an increasingly globalised world, that's a really important mindset to have. But it isn't for everyone. And if your child is set against doing it, for whatever reason that might be, they really shouldn't be browbeaten into studying it. For those that are already on their path to their language GCSE, whether that's this year without exams or next year, hopefully with them, Rebecca has given us some fantastic tips. And the big win comes in the form of little and often. There's a core of language that has to be learnt, and tackling a set number of those words and phrases regularly seems to be the real key to doing well. I remember, for us, when Jake was doing his Spanish, this took the form of flashcards. Looking back, I don't think we mixed that up at all, and from what we've heard, it might have been much more useful. So it's not just getting your teen to switch between English and foreign words, but also moving the vocab out of context that will really help to cement that in their mind. 
and we've heard from previous guests how this approach can really help to strengthen the memory bonds. It seems too that the exam can be managed well with a number of well-placed and rehearsed expressions and of course Rebecca's approach under BUST to help understand and really answer the question well. As with all subjects, a good amount of routine and rigour with revision and practice will pay enormous dividends. Thank you for listening. I hope that you found this episode as interesting and useful as I have. If you did, I wonder if you'd take a moment just to leave a five-star rating and perhaps a review. It really does help us to reach other parents and spread the word on how they can support their own young people. Of course, sharing the link to this and other episodes with your friends on social media is always very appreciated. There'll be another episode next week, so please don't forget to subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.